Hello and welcome to worship. I'm Jason from Schweitzer. We are so glad that you've joined us in worship today. It is going to be a great time. Last week we started a new sermon series called Tidings of Joy. We looked at the healing power of Christ. Today we're going to continue that sermon series with Tidings of Joy, looking at, at the restoration work of Christ. If you're new, worshiping with us for the first time, we would love for you to let us know that you're here. We've got a gift card that we'd love to send to you. It's a Starbucks gift card. It's a great season for those peppermint mochas. I had one last Sunday. Uh, so we'd love to send something like that your way. Just let us know that you're here. We'll do that. If you've been worshiping with us for a long time, we're so glad that you've checked in. If you'd like to go deeper with the sermon series, with the sermon discussion questions or anything else, you can go to schweitzer.church next and encounter places where you could join groups or or have the sermon discussion questions. Lots of different things to check out there. Next up is Stephanie, and she's going to let us know how we can engage here at Schweitzer. Let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Stephanie. The Christmas season is here, and there are several things going on this month that we're really excited about, including the Schweitzer Choir's Christmas cantata called The Work of Christmas. The cantata will be shared with us on Sunday, December 19th at both the 9 and 10.45 a.m. services, as well as being live streamed during both of those times. So look forward to hearing some great Christmas music. For Christmas Eve, we're hosting three services this year at 3, 5, and 7, all of those occurring in our sanctuary. We'll have child care for kids under two at the 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock services. And we're even offering golf cart assistance from our far parking lots to help you get up to the door quickly and comfortably. We look forward to seeing you on Christmas Eve. If you're interested in ushering, serving as a greeter, serving as a parking lot attendant, or maybe a photographer, please let us know. We would love to hear from you and we'd love to have you get involved. You can find out more at schweitzer.church Christmas. This Wednesday, December 8th, our healing prayer ministry is holding a special healing prayer service in our sanctuary at 5.30 p.m. This service will be for a half an hour and will be a special time of prayer and oil anointing led by our healing prayer ministry. Everyone is welcome. And you can find out more about our prayer ministries at schweitzer.church prayer. Our holiday toy store for Pittman Elementary is coming up and today is the final day to drop off your toys for that special night. If you're still interested in volunteering, there's still plenty of opportunities. That shopping night is on Tuesday, December 14th, and you can find out more and sign up online at schweitzer.church next. One last thing, as we continue to get our space ready for Christmas, we'd like to invite you to bring an ornament to share. We have a great big tree out in our lobby and we'd like to decorate it with ornaments from all of our Schweitzer friends. You can bring your ornament anytime in the next couple of weeks. Contact Sheila Pippen for more information. We are so grateful that you're here this morning and so grateful for this exciting season at Schweitzer. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie, for those good words. If you're worshiping with us live, we encourage you to use the chat feature. Say hello to other people who are joining us. And if you like prayer, there's somebody that would be happy to pray with you. Uh, you can click the prayer button. Now, let's enter into worship. Mary Jackson is, is going to help lead us.
and destruction have ended and enemy raiders have disappeared, then God will establish one of David's descendants as king. He will rule with mercy and truth. He will always do what is just and be eager to do what is right. We light this candle as a symbol of Christ, the love of God. May love sent from God who leads with mercy and grace lead us in the way of salvation. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Friends, as we come to a time of prayer, I'd like to invite you to join me in some ancient words of prayer that the church has said often as it, as it gathers together in worship, words of the great thanksgiving. And so um, I invite, invite you to follow the prompts along on the screen. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. For your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, and he ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth, O God, to your church. You delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and you made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. So we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. We pray our prayers through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.
Kind Father, thank you um, for the prayer that reminds us of your story and how you've shared your life and you've opened your heart to us. Thank you for the invitation in prayer to open our hearts to you. And now teach us to pray as with one voice we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Your act of generosity and giving creates a lot of ministries. One of those is the student ministry, and we're going to hear about it from Levi Zen. What's up, y'all? I'm Levi Zinn, the Director of Student Ministries here at Schweitzer. Uh, just here to tell you a little bit about what's going on with the student ministry. First, we've come a long way with our student band. Um, we announced in the fall that we were going to start a student band, and now we have someone to play every instrument. We're even rotating singers. It's really cool. Also, thanks to a lot of y'all's generosity, the Student Center, which is officially named that, it's on the sign outside. It's made a lot of progress. We even got some new couches over in our hangout space for the students. Um, it's really cool. You should come check it out. Hey, thanks, Levi, for sharing what's happening in student ministries. We are really excited to see new faces in a new space and, and to see that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in student ministry. Thanks to you because your generosity helps make things like this possible and helps to make things like this happen. Uh, you can go to Schweitzer.church/give and make a contribution. You can go to the church app and use that. But let's worship together with our tithes and offerings. Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're with us. Hey, today we're going to be on part two of our series called Tidings of Joy. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, we want to turn to Luke chapter 8 as we, as we go through the series. And of course, Tidings of Joy, this is what the angels say to the shepherds that night that Jesus is born. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. This is what we read. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people tidings of great joy, and it's, it's for everyone. And so this is the, the theme of our, of our series. And as we go through the series, we have a really simple idea. We just really want to show this promise of tidings of joy. Uh, we just want to show it in action. We want to, we want to show you what this looks like, that, that when Jesus comes, um, he has brought these, these tidings of joy, this change that happens in people's lives. And so what we're doing in the series, we're just looking at different scenes from Jesus' life and when people come in contact with him, how they are different and changed and uh, the way that, that he has come in their, in their life to, to bring a, a new reality for them, this tidings of joy that's for all people. And so last week we looked at the story of healing, this incredible story of some friends who brought to Jesus their, their 
their friend who needed to be healed came through the roof. And, and this is what Jesus does. He heals people. We see this over and over and over again in the four Gospels that Jesus brings healing. He brings healing then. He brings healing now to us. He, he heals us physically, emotionally, relationally. There's all kinds of ways that Jesus brings healing. Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus welcomes everyone because these tidings of joy are for everyone. There's no one who's excluded. And you look at his ministry. Oh my goodness, Jesus was always bringing people in from the outside, from the fringes to come and to experience um, life in his kingdom. Um, This week, I'm so excited about this. This week, we're going to look at how uh, Jesus comes and he casts out demons. Yeah, nothing says Merry Christmas quite like an exorcism, but that's where we're going to go today. Uh, We're going to look at an exorcism story um, in Luke chapter 8, which which might seem strange for Christmas, but, but... demon casting, this demon possession, Jesus casting out demons is something that he does over and over and over and over in the Bible. In fact, I went through and I counted, just went through the the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just turned the pages and I counted 26 different times that Jesus does this. This is like a major part of his ministry. Um, In fact, in in Luke chapter four, when Jesus first emerges on the scene with his ministry, uh, he he shows up and he comes to the the Sabbath, um, comes to the synagogue on a Sabbath um, and, and as he comes in, he, he gets the scroll of Isaiah the prophet to read from. And he, he starts to read from Isaiah the prophet. I want to read to you what he reads um, in Luke chapter 4. As he announces his ministry to the world. Luke 4, this is what he reads. It's a quote from Isaiah. But he says this, that the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So as he comes to this text in Isaiah uh, chapter 61, and he reads this in the Sabbath um, on the synagogue that day, he, he rolls the scroll back up, and all the eyes are looking at him after he just read this. And then Jesus, he sits down and he says, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's like a mic drop moment. I mean, just lays it out there. And of course, they all pick up rocks to stone him. But Jesus has just announced what his ministry, his life is going to be like. What's he going to do? He's going to proclaim good news. He's going to heal folks. He's going to release, uh, proclaim freedom and release for the prisoners. And what we're going to see today is exactly that. We're going to see Jesus bring freedom to somebody who is being tormented. We're going to see freedom for somebody who is imprisoned um, in, a, in a very strange, very difficult place to be. And, but we're going to see an extreme example of this, of how Jesus is living into this ministry, what he does. This is the tidings of great joy, is that he has come to set people free. So Luke chapter 8, let's read through this. We're going to walk our way through the story. Um, it starts in verse 26. This is right on the heels of Jesus calming the storm, which is important because he's about to calm the storm that's in with, within somebody else. But in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 26, this, here's how it goes. It says, They sailed, that is, Jesus and his disciples sailed, to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. So if you're wondering, where is, was the Gerasenes again? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was across the lake from Galilee. Yeah, that, I remember where that is now. Verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from from the town. Now, I know this is strange, a demon-possessed man from the town. I I know it's strange, and I know a lot of us, we hear this kind of thing, and we think to ourselves, really? I mean, demon-possessed man? I mean, it's 2021. Do we we really believe this? I mean, 
Don't we know better by now? Isn't like demon possession just mental illness or, or isn't, it, isn't it just you know, superstition, this demon possession? And so, and so I, I get it. I, I, I get the pushback. I get how strange this is, um, I, especially in Christmas time to read a story of an exorcism. But, but, I, but, I, but I get that. But I, I just want you to pay attention here as we read through this. Um, the, the shape that this guy is in. And we're going to read through this, and I just want you to pay attention to how, how difficult his situation is and how it ties into this freedom for people who are bound, this freedom for the prisoners, which is really the tidings of joy, this, this great joy that's for everyone. And, and also, to the, any skeptics who are with us today, I just also want to push back just a little bit and say, you know what? Sometimes we might need to consider that there is more at work in the world than just what we can you know, see and hear and taste and touch more than we can measure and test and understand. Sometimes there's more at work in the world than what, than what we can see with our eyes and measure and test. There's, 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 there's more. So we read here, demon possessed man is coming before Jesus. Um, and we keep reading here. We're going to read the description, the shape that he's in. So here's the very next line describing what his life is like. It says, for a long time, this man had not worn clothes, or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. He's in terrible shape. He's in terrible shape. I mean, this, this man is being tormented here uh, by, this, by this demon possession. He's in terrible shape. And, and this man who is, who is made in the image of God is certainly not living into the life that God has for him. So what happens when a man who's in this kind of shape comes in contact with Jesus? Here we keep reading here, verse 28. It says, when he saw Jesus... He cried out. He fell at his feet, shouting at the top of, his, top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me, which is really astounding that, that uh, he cries out not to be tortured because he's clearly being tortured presently. I mean, he's living in the caves. Uh, he's got not wearing clothes. He's all by himself. He's been cut off from all of the people around him. And yet he, when he thinks about the presence of God, he thinks the presence of God is what's torturing him, when in reality, he's already being tortured in his life. So he cries out, don't torture me. Um, verse 29, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, pay attention to those details there. He's chained hand and foot. He's kept under guard. He had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And so here again, we, we learn a little bit more of his backstory. Like what, what do the people of this town do with this man? Well, they, they chain him up. They lock him up. They, they put, him, put him away, throw away the key. This is how they deal with this man, which, which means that this man is known in this area. This man is not a stranger. He's probably from this area. He's probably got friends, family in this area. He probably grew up in this area. There's probably people there who remember what he was like before he went down this path that led to, to this, this torment that he's living in. There's, there's probably people, maybe his own family remembers who he was before all of this happened. And, and this is the backstory here that this man created in the image of God I mean, driven to live in solitary places. Like he's, he's crying out not to be tormented by Jesus, but in reality, he's already being tormented. And, and all of these people around in this area would have, would have known who he is and, 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 and known his story. And so we keep reading here, verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Now, in Roman times, uh, a legion was 5,000 soldiers. Now, I don't know if that means there's 5,000 demons who are possessing him. Some people will translate this word here as, as mob. 
uh, not legion, because there's like an unruliness probably that's happening within him. Like, I, I don't know how this works. I don't know how many demons there are. I don't, I don't want to de- create a detailed theology about anything here. But what I see here is this, this man who is being tormented. And then I love the picture that we have of, of Jesus, because as he is confronting this, this evil that is within this man, just notice how calm he is. He doesn't get worked up. He's not worried. He's, he's, he's not, you know, he's not afraid of what's going to happen here. He's not living in fear. In fact, he's so calm. He asks him, you know, what is your name? He actually can talk to him and, and, and see that this man is, is, a, is a person who's made in the image of God. And he's talking to him. He's so calm. Um, and, so, and, so, and so together as he goes through this. Um, verse 31 says, um, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order him uh, ought to order them to go to the abyss. Verse 32, a large herd of pigs, the Gerasenes is a Gentile territory, so there's pigs, was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and, and to the lake and was, and was drowned. And people have noted for a long, 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 long time that um, when you look at evil, evil is always destructive, and evil is always self-destructive. That's what we see here. Verse 34, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Of course they have, because they know who this man is. They, they know his story. They remember him from before all of this happened to him. And they came to Jesus. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And of course they're afraid because who is more powerful than all of these demons? Well, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. And then I love this next couple lines here. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. They begged to go with him, probably for a few reasons, right? Probably one, he's overcome with gratitude and joy. He wants to go with Jesus, the person who has set him free. Or, or two, maybe he's afraid of going back into his old life, and so he wants to go with Jesus in order to stay free. But I, I don't know, he's begging to go with Jesus. And Jesus, though, says to him, um, he, he, Jesus sent him away, and he said to him, verse 39, return home and tell how much God has done for you. And then listen to this last line. This last line is so good. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Imagine what that was like for him. He goes to the town, his hometown, his home village, and he starts to tell all that Jesus has done for him. How he has been set free, how his life has been changed, how he has a new future. He goes home and he starts to tell everyone about this freedom that he has found um, when he met Jesus. And just think about what this was like. Think about what this was like when he starts showing up in that town or that village that he was from. What was it like when he met his old friends? What was it like maybe when he saw his mother, his father, maybe his wife, his kids. I don't know how old he is. Imagine what it was like when, when he's restored to the relationships that he had before all of this happened. Like, what would that have been like? I mean, think about tidings of great joy. I mean, this is it. Here is this man who has been tormented by evil. This man who has lost his life. This man who, who, who had no uh, friends, no family left. People who had pushed him away, cut him away. This man who had drawn himself into solitude 
uh, solitude because, because of what has happening inside of him. This is a man who is bound up by evil. And yet when he meets Jesus, he is set free. This is tidings of great joy for all people, for everybody, even people who are so far gone that he has to get chained up and locked up and put away because he is so, so dangerous. This is tidings of great joy for absolutely everyone. And I, and I know, I know, right? You think about Christmas and the promise of Christmas. You don't normally think about things like demon possession because after all, nothing says Merry Christmas quite like an exorcism. But this is the promise of Christmas that we see here, that Jesus is stronger than the evil that, that he is confronted and that Jesus is able to set people free. And again, we think about how, how the ministry of Jesus, this is something that he does on a regular basis. Again, there's 26 different episodes, different times in the four gospels that you see Jesus doing things like this, of setting people free from, from the work and the, and the harm of, of the devil, of Satan, of demons. This is something you see Jesus doing on a regular basis. And, and it's important to realize this, especially maybe even connecting it to Christmas. It's important to do this because as you think about this work that Jesus does that might seem really strange to us and it's not all that relatable because nothing in my life really feels like Luke chapter eight or maybe probably not your life either, but it's something to, to be reminded of because um, these 26 different times that Jesus drives out demons in the New Testament is really part of a, a bigger biblical idea. I mean, it's really part of a whole bigger idea of what does it mean to be saved and also what is the promise of the Messiah, what is he going to do for us? I mean, it's really part of this much, much bigger idea. So let's think about the Bible for a few minutes here in a in kind of a big picture view. Let's think about the Bible. We think about the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, the Bible opens. God creates the heavens and the earth, everything in the earth. And, and one word is used over and over and over again in Genesis chapter one, the poem of Genesis chapter one to describe what, how God felt about the work that he had done in creating. And so over and over and over again, you read that, that when God looks at this world he has made, he calls it good. He calls it good when he separates light from darkness. He calls it good when he creates um, sea from sky. He calls it good when he creates land from, from sea. He calls it good when he creates uh, plants and animals, these, these creatures to fill the sea, the sky, and the land. He calls it good. Everything is good. And then he, and then he creates humans. He creates you and me, and, and he doesn't call it good. This is the very first time, in fact, in all of creation story that he doesn't call anything good that he's created. In fact, no, 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 he doesn't call it good. In Genesis 1, verse 31, God says this, it was very good. When he creates humans, it goes beyond just goodness. It is very good. It is exceptionally good. And so why was it good? Well, it's good because when God creates humans, he creates us in his image, in his likeness. He creates us for a relationship with him. We're not just creatures that serve him. We're creatures that actually live with him, in relationship with him. And so he calls this good, that we have a whole relationship with him, that we have intimacy with the one who creates all things. He calls it good because, because we're given work to do and intending to the world that God has created and God has made that is good. It's called, it's good because when, when we are created, we're created together. We're created male and female. We're created as one. We're created for relationship, relationships of, of harmony and peace. And this is God's plan for us. This is God's intention for us. And so when God looks at all that he has made, it's very good. But it doesn't take long for things to 
to go wrong. In fact, just two chapters later, Genesis chapter 3, we read about it going wrong. We read about how the first people didn't choose to trust God. Instead, they chose to trust in themselves and they chose to trust that maybe God wasn't as good as he says he is and maybe we don't have to listen to him. And so they chose to, to go their own path and to not follow God's, God's way and God's teaching. And when they do this, they introduce destruction and self-destruction and we call their choice, we call it sin. But you know what? According to the Bible, this original sin that happens in Genesis chapter 3 doesn't originate from within them. It doesn't originate from Eve and Adam. It doesn't originate from within their own hearts, their own minds. Instead, there is another uh, voice in Genesis chapter 3 speaking um, into them about the, the deception to find their own path instead of following God. There is a, an adversary that is created, that is, that is uh, introduced in Genesis chapter 3 to, to lead them away. It's, a, it's an adversary who speaks words of deception that, that maybe God is not as good as he says he is. It's the doubt that maybe we don't have to follow him as, as those seeds are sown there. Or maybe it's the, it's the deception that, that we need more than what God has given us. And so the beginnings of discontentment begin to rise in the human uh, heart for the very first time. It's, it's the deception that, um, that maybe we, are, we, we know more than God and we can go on our own path. And so pride begins to rise in the human mind for the very first time. And, and this all starts to lead us away. And it, it didn't originate from within us. It originated from this other deception, this voice of an adversary. And as you read through the pages of Scripture, you see this voice of this adversary rising over and over and over again. You see it accusing Job. You see it tempting David. Jesus talks about the, the voice of this adversary in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus describes it like this. He says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. How does Jesus describe the adversary as a thief who is stealing from us what God has given for us? Or, or uh, First Peter describes this, this adversary, he describes it like this. Your enemy, the devil, listen, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Or Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the struggle that we all have in life. Every one of us has struggles in life. And Paul describes the struggle like this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people that we're struggling against, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is the, the work of the adversary that he's describing. Or, or think about the Lord's Prayer. Did you know every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are praying against this adversary? Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. This is one of the lines of the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Like this is the biblical reality. The, the biblical reality is that there is one who is working against God's good and perfect plan for your life. There is one who is working to destroy. There is one who is working to, to conquer us. There is one who's working destruction into our life to lead us away from what God has that is, that is good. Sometimes, that adversary, it looks like dramatic kinds of things like you might read in Luke chapter 8. But honestly, much more often, the hour of the adversary, this destruction that we're talking about, it happens in much more simple ways. I think about what the great Bible scholar N.T. Wright, how he describes uh, this. And, and here's how he writes it. I, I think this is so wise. He says, it is, of course, a surprise to many people that there is a struggle at all. Like a lot of us, we think of the 
Satan or devil, and we have a caricature in our mind about what this is, when, when in reality, the biblical story is telling us that, that there is something deeply wrong and, and struggle, there's a struggle that is within us. But some of us, we're, we're surprised by that. He goes on, he says, yes, they think we find it difficult from time to time to practice our Christianity. We find it hard to forgive people, to pray regularly, to resist temptation, to learn more about the faith. But as far as they're concerned, that's the end of it. They've never thought that their small struggles might be part of a larger campaign. I mean, the, the biblical reality is that there is a struggle that all of us face, a, a struggle between God's good intention and plan for our lives, the, the goodness that he wants us to live into, and the, the work of this adversary that seeks to destroy us, that seeks to lead us away from what God has, to lead us into discord instead of harmony, to lead us, to lead us into gauging our worth by what we accomplish and, and, and how we compare to others, that leads us into fear, that leads us away from what God has and into this other kind of life altogether. I mean, when I look at the world and I see the things that are wrong in the world, I, I'll, I'll level with you. I can't help but think that there is an adversary out there who is seeking to destroy people. I mean, when I, when I look at people who, who um, struggle and throw their lives away with addiction, I can't help but think, man, there is something there that is working to destroy someone. When I, when I look at marriages and families that are destroyed by selfishness, I just can't help but think that there is, there is this biblical reality of an adversary who's seeking to destroy people. When I, when I, when I think about people who, who harbor secrets because they can't feel like they can be honest with others, their struggles that they have, again, I think, oh my goodness, this is the voice of an adversary trying to keep people stuck in life. When I, when I think about how racism destroys and divides people, I just can't help but think, oh my goodness, there's so much at work here that is seeking to destroy people. When I see people who are crippled by fear and they, and they can't make decisions, they can't live forward in their life because they're always scared about what if, I just, I just keep thinking to myself, oh my goodness, there is certainly a work of an adversary working to destroy them. When I see people whose whole life is, is lived for just what I can get next, the how can I gain more? Because I never feel like I have enough and I have this discontentment about what I have and I, I just, I can never be content with that. I just think to myself, oh my goodness, there's an adversary who's seeking to destroy people. Like this is the biblical reality and it's been with us since the beginning. But that's also not the end of the story because there are tidings of good joy. That's for everybody. And while there may be work against us and struggles that we have that are bigger than us, bigger than our own intentions, the struggles of, 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 of the demonic, the struggles of Satan trying to lead us away, an adversary who's seeking to destroy us, God has also provided for us one who can set us free, one who is stronger than our temptations, one who is stronger than our struggles, one who is stronger than our doubts, one who is stronger than our fears, one who is stronger than all of these things that keep us stuck. He has provided for us one who is stronger. He has provided us freedom from, from, from the captives. He has provided us a new kind of life that can live into a new future. He has provided for us this in his son. This is the work that the Messiah does. And so when I think about the, the big picture of the Bible, I think about the very beginning, these first couple chapters when God creates everything and it's good. But then I also think about the end. Because while the Bible starts with these first two chapters where there's a garden and everything is exactly how God wants it, do you know the Bible ends in the same way with a, with a garden? Everything is exactly how God wants it. How in his new kingdom, there's no death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There's a new heaven and a new earth and this creation and this is how exactly how God wants it to be. And right before this garden is introduced and the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, 22, 
there's a great battle where our adversary is finally defeated. This is life in Jesus' kingdom, that there is pointing us towards a future that is bright and hope, one that we can, we can look to with all kinds of hope. You see, whenever Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts to heal people, he casts out demons, he feeds the 5,000, he does these great miraculous works. He's not just doing those works in that moment of time just to provide for that person. Really what he's doing is he is pointing us forward to say, this is what life in my kingdom looks like. Life in my kingdom, it, it, it looks like freedom. Life in my kingdom, it is health and prosperity. Life in my kingdom, there is, there is joy and peace. There is not discord and conflict and fighting and selfishness, all these things that destroy us now. Life in my kingdom, there is contentment with what you've been given. Life in my kingdom, there is closeness with God. There's intimacy with others. Life in my kingdom, this is what it looks like. While life on earth sometimes, there is destruction that comes all around us. There's an adversary who works against us. But life in my kingdom, this is what this looks like. And this is what's leading us forward. This is the promise of the Messiah. And while it's the promise of the Messiah for someday, it's also the promise of the Messiah for now. Because when we begin to live into Jesus' kingdom today, we can find freedom. When we can live in Jesus' kingdom today, we can, find, we can find a new life, a new future, a new hope that we could never have outside of Him. You see, tidings of great joy, they're for everybody. Even for those of us who feel like we're stuck, even for those of us who have all kinds of struggles, even for those of us who have all kinds of doubts, even for those of us who, who don't know what the future holds, like there's so much hope that we have because this tidings of joy is for all of us. Let's pray together. And so Father, today we, um, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your son that's been given for us. This gift of your son that sets us free. This gift of your son that liberates us into a new future. Because while, while life gets us stuck and we often settle for so much less than you have for us, we, we fill our lives with discontentment, we compare ourselves to others, we fill our brains with fear, we, our hearts are, lead us away. There's, there's, there's one who's constantly working to lead us away from your truth and your kingdom. The, the, the truth is, the hope that we have is that through the Messiah, there's a new future for us. And for some of us, maybe we are tormented in ways that, that that no one knows about like this man in Luke 8. But for many of us, these struggles are much, much more subtle, just slowly leading us away from the life that you have for us. And today we wanna, we wanna claim this faith that once again, that there's tidings of great joy even for us. And so maybe today for us, very specifically, we need to offer up to you um, some of the specific struggles that we have. These things that we keep fighting on our own power when in reality, you want to come at work in us to free us, to forgive us, and to lead us into a new future. And so God, today we give you thanks that in your son Jesus, we have new life. So for anyone who's with us today, who, who doesn't know this hope of new life, this hope of eternal life, we wanna say just a simple prayer that, that opens our lives to the, to the life of faith that you have for us with just simply saying this, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin and would you lead my life? So God, today we thank you, we love you, and we all live for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us in worship today. Thanks to Stephanie and Mary Jackson for the people behind the scenes like Taylor and Alec. Thanks to Spencer for the sermon that we heard. Um, if this sense of worship blessed you, touched you, spoke to you, we encourage you to take a moment, share it with somebody else in your world that could be blessed, that could be encouraged, that could find help or hope or healing through what God is saying to us through this, this worship service. 
We look forward to next week when we continue with week three of Tidings of Joy. We hope to see you then, and we hope you have a blessed and awesome week. See you.